another episode of smoke signals this is our first episode since the season has started so we actually get to talk about baseball games that count for the first time in 2020 that seems like a shock to say on august 5th but that's where we are i'm justin latta joined by willie hood willie how are you doing is it great to talk about baseball or what oh man i (laughs) let's just say i needed the the distraction and i think so i need something up to kind of tune into and kind of turn away from everything that's going on in the world around us. Um, it's nice to just break away and think about the game of baseball, even though it's quite obvious when they're wearing masks on the field that what we are all facing in the new reality that we all see every day. Is it good to talk about baseball when your baseball team is averaging 2.6 runs a game? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it can make for uh, some boring offensive games, but I've seen really well-pitched games from the starting staff, and I'm trying to keep focused on that and remember the fact that, uh, you know, the Indians aren't the only offense struggling right now, so it's it's around the game of baseball, and uh, I thank you for reminding me before we got on the air today, not just the Tribe, it's other teams that are struggling. Yeah, I, we were just talking about this, but um, other teams are having issues. The Diamondbacks are actually a, a worse offense than the Indians, if you can believe it or not. They um, have a 54 weighted runs created plus mark. The Indians at 59. And then there's a gap. There's the Rangers at 71 uh, after that. So it's not – the Indians aren't the worst offense. They're not certainly not the best. They have issues. Um, and then Christian Yelich, I saw the other night, who was the 2018 MVP, um, as of last night was uh, on Tuesday, August 4th, was hitting under 100. So that's unbelievable to me. But the Indians have some guys doing that as well. Uh, but the offensive numbers aren't good. They've scored 32 runs. They've allowed 30. So as bad as their offense has been, they're still somehow in the plus column in the uh, – run margin, which I can't run differential margin. I can't believe that. And according to baseball references, uh, Pythagorean win loss um, chart, they deserve to be six and six, which they are. I can't believe that, but their pitching's been that good. I, we, I guess we can probably start with the pitching. I know we talked about the hitting for pitching is the good part. So maybe we should, uh, we should focus on that first, you know, good news before bad news. Um, Shane Beaver is probably the Cy Young Award winner if the season were to end today. And that could happen any day, <laughs> you know, for the way things have been going, that could happen any day. So let's hope it doesn't. But um, he's 3-0 and in three starts. Another gem against the Reds on Tuesday, seven two-thirds innings, eight strikeouts. Uh, gave up his first runs of the year. They were two home runs. Uh, just left two fastballs in the middle of the plate that he shouldn't have. And, you know, the Reds have good fastball hitters. But, um, you know, I think we were all ready for Shane Bieber to be the ace of the staff. I know we thought it was going to be kind of a co-ace situation between Bieber and Clevenger. But, man, I got to tell you, as good as I thought Shane Bieber was going to be, I did not think we would see him striking out 44% of batters he's faced um, through three games. Did you think this was possible from Shane Bieber? 
You know, I, I said the other day on Twitter that I had uh, I projected Shane Bieber as a number three starter when he was drafted. I eventually did say he would be a number two. So for me, he is a he is pitching above what I thought and what I think that he will actually do. I do think he's benefiting from some of the uh, hitters being behind right now, and I do think we we will see things kind of even out with the, the pitching will catch back up to the hitting, or the hitting will catch the pitching um, rather. Um, you know, so I, I think things will kind of play out over the season and, and we will see things balance out a little bit more as the weeks go on, assuming that the season continues, because frankly, it feels like this year has been written by Tim Burton or uh, Stephen <laughs> King right now, you know, so uh, who knows what the weeks will will um, hold and, and uh, you know, for the rest of the season. But, um, you know, I, I think Shane Bieber's pitched a, a little bit above his head and I'm not trying to slight him in any way by saying that, but I do think he fit from hitters being behind the pitching right. I do think he is the front runner for the Cy Young as he should be, and he can definitely maintain it. I'm not, not saying he's not the ace of the staff. I do think he's one of the best starting uh, pitchers in the AL, um, but I don't think that he will be able to maintain what he's doing right now. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, nobody carries uh, a 152 uh, FIP for the year, even in a, a 60 game season. That probably seems unrealistic, but at the moment, he does have a slight edge in uh, Fangraphs four at a full win through three starts, which is pretty amazing over uh, Herman Marquez of the Rockies and Luis Castillo of the Reds, who both have 0.8 so far. Um, I believe he's first in baseball and all starters and. Um, strikeouts per nine and a bunch of other stats. Obviously he's three and zero, and that's, you know, for whatever wins they're worth, that's good because the Indians really can't afford to lose a Shane Bieber start. And they did win. They did win on Tuesday, even though it was kind of dicey for Emil Reyes hit his first home run of the year. Um, the way the offense is going though, he really can't. Have, I mean, the pitching is giving him a chance to win every night, but when you have a guy like Shane Bieber on the mound, you can't afford to lose his starts. Um, with the way the offense is. Cause I, I mean, if there's other, other starts where you're, you're starting Carrasco or not that those guys aren't good, but you're not likely to get a shutout from them every night. And it just seems like every night Shane Bieber pitches, you know, at most he's going to give up two runs. So you have a chance to win the other guys, you know, maybe it's a, it's a three run game, but I do agree with you. I think Bieber is, is pitching above his head a little bit, but you know, the curveball has, has gotten better for him. Um, and he's added a cutter. The cutter, it looks like it's helping his fastball. The cutter by itself, if you look at the numbers, he's only thrown 21 so far. Has um, got a, a 419 or 400 slugging percentage again, so not great. But it's helping his fastball, I think, um, erase some damage that he normally gets off of that. So that's an interesting development. Whenever a guy adds a new pitch, I think you have to kind of take a, a new look at what he's expected to be to be and what he can do, especially when you have a pitcher like Bieber who can command every pitch in his arsenal and, you know, throw wherever he wants. And, and in a short season, you got to consider that hitters might not get a chance to put together a scouting report when a guy adds a new pitch like that out of nowhere. Yeah, that definitely throws him off. You know, I haven't broke down the numbers on Bieber, but he's definitely been impressive and keeping the batters, you know, when he's throwing a 94-mile-an-hour fastball right down, they don't know what's coming. He's definitely doing something right. 
And, you know, it's not exactly like he's just throwing 100 miles an hour and throwing gas by these guys. Like I said, it's been 94, 93, 94, and, and just putting it where he wants to. That's the huge difference with him than uh, over a lot of pitchers is his ability to command and control the ball and put it in a teacup if he wanted to. You know, I uh, I think he's been be- the benefactor of some expanded strike zones too. But when you have that type of reputation, you're going to get those type of calls. Yeah, I think that's definitely for sure. And, and thankfully – I would say from a framing perspective, the Indians haven't really lost much because we can get into this now. They haven't really lost much with uh, Roberto Perez being out with Sandy Leone and Bo Taylor having a shoulder to load. And obviously we've seen a lot more of Sandy Leone than Bo Taylor, but uh, I think Bo Taylor caught his start in um, Minnesota on Thursday. Or no, it was police act. I'm sorry. He didn't catch Bieber's start, but Roberto Perez seems like he's on the men, but it is commendable that, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, everything is kind of what it is for the Indians right now. But I would say I know some people have speculated on uh, on Twitter that they think that the pitchers miss Roberto Perez. And I'm sure they do. But I don't think from an output standpoint, anybody there's been a there's been a real drop off in defense. I don't know what the numbers and the metrics look like. And obviously, it's super hard to calculate or accurately assess defensive metrics for a catcher in like 10 games or 12 games, however many he's played. But I would say just looking, looking at the output, I think there hasn't been that much of a defensive drop-off from uh, Roberto Perez to Sandy Leone. That's a, that's a credit to him and how good the pitchers have still been. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I talked in previous podcasts about the um, defensive attributes that Bo Taylor brings and, and even some of the Indians, others, other off-season additions like uh, Sandy Leone. I saw somewhere on Twitter, I believe it was, that said that uh, Roberto Perez was the number one defender last year. And they had, you know, the metrics to show it. And then Sandy Leone was number seven, which kind of surprised me that he was that good and and still um, discarded by the Red Sox, essentially. Uh, Great pickup for the Indians for his defensive wizardry behind the plates. Um, because there has not been a, a beat missed, in my opinion, with his ability behind the plate. And even when Taylor caught, he's looked really well, um, seemed to really manage Sack and the game. You know, I, I had no expectations with the bat from Taylor or Leon, and I tried, to, I tried to keep my expectations low from the offensive perspective from the catching position to begin with. And anything that Roberto put to the plate, uh, um, you know, is a bonus for the lineup. Hopefully he gets back it sounds like he's on the mend and he's throwing down lake county right now yeah that is an important development it does sound like as long as his shoulder responds to the hitting and the throwing and uh he doesn't have any issues with it being sore again or or losing um strength in it everything should be a go he might miss a little more in the 10 days i think but hopefully because he's gonna have to go out and take some swings and play some um, inner squad games to just kind of get acclimated again. And it's unfortunate as the Indians offense has been so bad, but most of the time, I think we all, we, you, you know, this by just saying it. And, and we know this by um, how they've handled it the last couple of years, the Indians aren't as concerned with what their pit, their catcher does offensively, as long as they do things the way Perez does defensively. And, and same with Sandy Leone, which is why, um, Sandy Leone was cut loose by the Red Sox because his offense has been terrible 
uh, very bad. And he's been obviously very bad this year. Um, but the Indians aren't as concerned about offense from the catching position. And, you know, Perez was not doing very well for the first few games, but you know, everybody but Jose Ramirez was doing terrible for the first few games anyway. Um, so it really doesn't matter what Perez does offensively when he comes back, although they could use someone to step in and help. Um, but, you know, yeah, at least they haven't missed a beat defensively and he is going to be back. It sounds like sooner rather than later. And I, I was definitely concerned over the long haul because Perez was a sneaky good bat for them last year down in the lineup. So if he comes back and give anything offensively, that's a bonus, but thankfully though, they haven't really missed a beat. Otherwise, uh, Zach Plesak, when we're talking about the pitching staff is, 12th in Fangraphs war through two starts. He's got a couple guys with three starts um, ahead of him, but he is at a half a win so far. Um, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, a 180 ERA and in 15 innings so far. Um, for me, I mean, I think everyone talked about in the White Sox start was fastball command looked a lot better. Increased usage of the slider, which wasn't really a great pitch for him a year ago. Um it was an okay pitch, but he didn't rely on it as much. And then against the Reds, he kind of got away from it a little bit because of how many left-hand hitters they have. Um, and going back to the changeup, so he's been adaptable so far, which has been good to see. And his command's been better. And he, you know, went through two lineups that are pretty good. So now I think we we thought over the offseason with him working with Mike Clevenger, we were going to see some improvements from, from Zach Plesek. And I'm still waiting for him to throw a little bit harder because I thought – in spring training, they talked about how he was going to throw harder this year, and he hasn't really uh, thrown harder. And if anything, he's I think he's lost just a, a tick, but not much. But the fastball command is better so far, I think, and he's showing a better usage of his pitch mix. The slider looks better. And to me, I think he just looks like more than a fifth guy in the rotation. I know that was kind of how things played out. But, you know, once again, it looks like the Indians have a starter who might be a five on their staff but it looks like he'd be a three elsewhere. Absolutely. Um, you know, he's a guy that I said had a, a number three ceiling whenever they drafted him, and that was projecting out quite a bit and, and betting on his ath- athleticism. And I think that's part of what you see on the mound. Uh, you're right. His velocity is down. It was 93.9 last year. It is 93.1 this year. Uh, looking at the numbers earlier today, he – um, he's actually increased the spin on his curve and his slider this year. Uh, both of those looking like better pitches to me. Um, he's increased his use on his change by 6% and increased his use on his slider by 8%. So there's the 14% um, mix between those two pitches that he's reduced from his fastball usage. La- last year, he was at 52% fastball usage. And I think that's probably played a part in his command with the fastball and use of um, obviously mixing up his uh, primarily those three pitches um, beyond the curveball um, has really helped him through these first two starts. I, I would say I've deep dived his first two starts, but can you really deep dive two starts? Uh, definitely what we're seeing is a maturation of a young pitcher. I, I think that he is a number three going forward. And again, I think he's probably pitching a little bit above his head not a slight toward him. I just think hitters are behind right now and it it will all even out as the season goes on. But I do think we are seeing a a good young number three starter for the Indians. It's definitely been encouraging from him. Yeah. He doesn't quite have the command of Shane Bieber and he doesn't, I think the curveball for Shane Bieber has become 
such a good pitch. It has so much better shape. So I don't know if, if Plesak has uh, a secondary that's as good as Shane Bieber's. Maybe maybe the changeup is as good as Bieber's curveball or a little bit less. But I think what the Indians have clearly identified is guys who have good secondaries. Maybe they're fastball. You know, they're not looking at guys that throw – 97 98 i know clevenger had gotten up there we're gonna i want to get to clevenger in a second too but over the, they really haven't had anybody i mean you know trevor bauer used to run up 95 96 um sales could throw 100 obviously we knew his arm was on borrowed time and we saw that played out the indians just don't have hey, these was, guys hit 103 once did he really hit 103 yeah, that pitch or that throw over the outfield wall was 103 miles an hour. <laughs> All right, well, he had he had a, that was a long way to throw 103, but he had a little bit of a hop in that. But we do know, we do know what what arm strength he he has clearly. But absolutely, even even going back to Corey Kluber, I mean, Corey Kluber at his best was throwing 95. That was like the top, yeah. and that was back in 2014. But he was when he won a Cy Young. But in in 2017, he was still throwing you know 92, 93. It wasn't like he was blowing guys away with gas. So what the Indians have managed to do is is adapt to the trends where you have a lot of hitters. And I know all baseball has done this, but um, you know, guys obviously are, are sitting dead red, and they're going to punish any fastball they get. So they found guys that command the fastball well, like Shane Bieber, Aaron Savali, and now Zach Plesac, who I like. Like I said, I think the biggest thing for me is, like you said, he in, increased some spin on the slider, but I think his fastball command has been better this year, and that's allowed him to. Um, throw it when he needs to and be able to get guys off of that pitch when he throws the secondary stuff because they know he has to, he can throw the fastball where he wants. So they have to swing at it when they get one. And when he's able to place it where he wants, he can avoid damage because the hitters know that might be the only one they get. But I think they've identified that they know what velocity that guys can live with as long as they're not walking batters, they command the fastball fairly well and getting them to mix in an above average secondary and, and throw it for strikes. That's successful. That's how they've been able to turn out all these good starters. Obviously um, a good catcher helps the way we've seen, but police seconds are very similar in that respect. And Kluber was like that. And Shane Bieber's like that. It's almost like, and obviously we know what they're, their MO is with these pitchers, but now we're seeing that's, that's clearly the the method they've taken. That's working. Absolutely. It's the, uh, the ability to command the fastball. And really to me, it's all about pitch sequencing. I think that's what we're seeing with, with uh Plesak is the maturation of a young pitcher. Again, you know, he's what 24, 25. Um, Bieber is 24 years old. Savali is 24 years old. So these, these are all young guys are kind of finding themselves as young pitchers and evolving with the game and their ability to mix and match their pitches off of the hitters that are up there. And as you said, please sack adjusted to the left-handed lineup with the changeup. You know, I think that's the thing that's important is a lot of that I think is the ability of the pitcher and the catcher to work together and to call a game that, you know, that they are on plan with. And that just shows to me their ability to plan ahead and, and throw the batter's off. You know, like I said, you have guys from the Twins just sitting there watching a 94-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate on strike three. And, you know, obviously, Bieber has been in their head. So that they are not comfortable at the plate. They're not 
sure what's coming next. And that tells me that they're mixing up the pitches really well. Yeah, the sequencing for sure has been pretty incredible for them, which is good. Um, I don't want to go, you know, deep diving on everybody in the rotation because that would take forever. Um, I do want to, I do want to at least point out, I'm impressed by Carlos Carrasco, obviously coming back last year, but uh, he hasn't looked like he hasn't really lost anything and he was commanding his fastball and he was um, keeping it 94, 95 later and in, into games. And he probably deserves more time than I think we have to give him today. Cause this is incredible, but you know, he's holding his velocity. So that tells me that he's feeling healthy, which is, you know, number one, he's, I'm glad he's healthy in general. Number two, the fact that he's throwing hard late in the games and, and maintaining his velocity is a great sign. Um, but I wanted to really quickly touch on Mike Clevenger, the only guy in the rotation right now that is, is kind of a, a question mark. You know, a year ago, he broke out, was throwing 96, 97, was blowing guys away and off the charts with the strikeouts. This year, the velocity is down a mile an hour. Uh, he gave him a couple of gopher balls in Minnesota. The fastball hasn't been very good for him. Uh, a year ago, Hitters slug 341 off the fastball. This year, their slugging is 882. I don't know if it's the command of the velocity, but whatever it is, it's been a struggle so far. The secondaries have been pretty good, which we knew they would be, although the curveball hasn't been as great. I think, to me, maybe he's not going to sustain the velocity he had last year because he really ramped it up. But I also my, my only thinking on Clevenger is this. He, he said it, I think, after the last start, maybe it was the first start saying he felt like he was pitching with somebody else's arsenal. And that was because he got into some bad mechanical habits after he was recovering from the knee surgery and he was compensating for not trusting his knee to, to hold up on his delivery. And you know, his delivery is violent. I know he's a great athlete. Uh, I know he's got a lot of balance and he works on his balance a lot, but it is a violent delivery. And we saw with Corey Kluber years ago that, when you have an injury and you alter your mechanics to allow you to keep pitching and reduce the strain of the injury. So you can be out there every fifth day. Um, you fall into bad habits and sometimes it's hard to correct those. I'm, I'm not super concerned about Clevenger for two starts. I think it'd be silly to say you were, but uh, I do think it is a mechanical issue. I do think he's got to rewire his body to not compensate for that knee and trust the knee. Otherwise, the fastball is going to be an issue or I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe my other theory is this, that teams are ambushing him like they used to do with Corey Kluber as well, where they didn't want to get behind an account because they know what happens. They saw that last year and that happened to Corey Kluber later in his career too. You know, I'll, I'll throw this out there. Um, I, I think he's kind of out of sorts when it comes to all of it. And he's kind of used the knee as as not really an excuse, but an explanation of what's going on and what's kind of thrown him off. Um, I'm curious about the velocity. It is down a mile an hour this year. I think he's 29 years old. I've seen a, a report somewhere that said a lot of starting pitchers start to lose that velocity. And when it starts to decline, it's usually at the age of 29 and 30. It, it could be bad. I think it may just be not comfortable with the knee and, and, you know, you're not going to maintain 96, 97 throughout your career. Um, you know, he may have peaked with his velocity, but it, his command has been off. He's just not been the same pitcher he was last year. Is it, is it the knee? If it is it confidence? 
Um, what is it? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I haven't really deep dove into his numbers like I have um, Bieber's and Plesak's, but you know, it's pretty obvious watching him on the mound. He's not the same guy he was last year. And I think that's what he was alluding to in his comments earlier about pitching with somebody else's name. Yeah, that's possible. And I, I, you know, with the injury he had last year, he came back strong from it and the knee presents a new issue. Uh, 30% whiff rate on the fastball a year ago. So far through two starts, 11. That's a huge drop. Uh, the spin on the fastball is down a little bit. So is the slider. Um, it's it's down. The spin all, all over is down a little bit. So there are a lot of wacky things going on with him. I don't expect him to be as good as he was a year ago. Um, but he needs to be better than he has been through two starts. I think he will be. I just don't think anybody should expect him to be the 2019 version of Mike Clevenger. And I think all this being put into words is I would expect a trade in the offseason of Mike Clevenger. I think, like you just said, he's 29. That's when guys start to lose fastball velocity. You're seeing the issues this year. There was trade rumors about him this past offseason. He's got what? Two more years of arbitration. I think this, this will be this, this winter will be arb two for him. So he has arb two and arb three. Um, at the moment, and hopefully he recovers and pitches better. Otherwise, this is going to sink his value. But um, I, I'm almost certainly looking at a, a trade scenario for um, Mike Clevenger this winter almost as much as, as Francisco Lindor at this point. I agree with you. Um, I would not be surprised if they pulled off some sort of mega deal with the two of them or, or two big separate um, deals in the offseason. I think you get value out of Lindor if you put another piece with him in a – altered market, but I really don't want to fall into that conversation right now. Um, you know, where, where Clev is, I, I do think, you know, he is getting older. He's getting more expensive. Um, when you have the pipeline that the Indians seem to be producing with these arms and, and guys ready and roster space needed, somebody's getting a little bit more expensive and you know, you're facing a potential um, bridge rebuild with your star players potentially leaving, you know, I, I think it makes sense if they were to pull something like that off in the off season. I do think, you know, right now looking at it, my concern is these games all matter so much. Essentially three starts or each win or each loss is essentially three. Um, and in comparison, um, you know, so for him, he needs to be healthy and he needs to be, producing like he can, like we know that he can, whether that is as a number one starter, like he flashed last year, or if it's more as a number two or, or even a, a number three middle of rotation type of arm, you know, um, I think for him, maybe it is hitters ambushing the fastball. They know what's coming. Uh, you kind of see the hitters trying to adjust to Shane Bieber and taking swings on the first fastball that they see, you know? So I, I think it's kind of uh the, the reality of things kind of settling back down or him kind of coming back down to earth, so to speak. Yeah, in a weird way, it's possible that Mike Clevenger might be the Indians' fifth, fifth best start in this rotation. Um, I certainly think he has the worst command out of all five of them, which is unbelievable because his command's not that bad. It's not, you know, it hasn't ever been elite. I think he got a little more or a little help last year from guys chasing because of how good his stuff was and the stuff's not there this year, but I've it's a strange scenario. Effective. 
you know um I, I tend to think his stuff has been benefited by the run and the and the spin race that he produces and even the mechanics I, I think that throws batters off when they see all of that herky jerky motion and then all of a sudden the the ball is in there uh, up on them at, at 97 mile, miles an hour or you know he's spinning that slider in there um so I do think he's been a beneficiary of those things, but I think a lot of it is the league and, and batters adjusting to him. Now he has to return and adjust back to them with his rapport um, or his repertoire rather, um, you know, and what's he do if he does continue to face diminished velocity, you know, he's going to have to learn how to, to pitch with that, with what he does have. You can't pitch with what you don't have. You have to pitch with what you do. And to be fair, at 94-2, that's his fastball velocity this year. He's the hardest throw on the staff. So it's not like, you know, he's really missing much with the fastball. It's just that he's not averaging 95 now where he was getting up to 96, 97 a year ago. But he is still the hardest thrower of all five guys in the rotation. So, and like the average is 93. So it's yeah, not like I mean, he's below average. Right. It, it's just he's going to he's gonna have to command it better. And he's going to have to to worry about sequencing. He's, I mean, he, I know he he threw the fastball twice as much as any any pitch he threw a year ago. Um, that's going to have to change. That's how we just talked about. It. Everybody else in the staff is having success by cutting down their fastball usage, and that's going to be the same for him. And he's going to have to command it better. That's all it comes down to. And I think he will. And thankfully, the Indians have a strong enough rotation where if Mike Clevenger is not as good as he was a year ago. He's still going to be good enough to give them what they need, and they'll they'll survive that way. But yeah, we can we can save the offseason trade discussion for another another year, another time. Because I know time is a weird concept these days. But the offseason will be here before you know it. <laughs> as far as the offense goes, um, Francisco Lindor has looked better in the recent days. Overall, I still see some issues. I think his chase rate is probably up this year. That could be true for about everybody, I would say. There are a lot of guys that are are swinging out of the zone. Lindor swung out of the zone 35% of the time this year. That is – I'm almost going to be – I'm looking it up as we talk, but I'm almost positive that's going to be up from career averages because that seems pretty high. Uh, let's see. 35 is what he did last year. So, actually, he's right on pace for last year, but his swinging strike rate has almost doubled from 7.5 to – 13-4. So he's got to figure that out <clears throat> before the Indians offense gets going. Um, same with Carl Santana. He's not making as good a contact as he normally does. The only guy that's really been been hitting has been Cesar Hernandez and, and Jose Ramirez. And I know <clears throat> I know it's been 10 or 12 games. I know not every guy has played all 12 games, but you can't jump to conclusions. But to me, when you look at some of these issues, like guys that are are missing a lot more than they normally do, Fran Mil Reyes um, is striking out like he normally does, but has a 2.5 walk rate. Oscar Mercado's got a 3.1 walk rate. Um, Jose Ramirez's strikeout rate is up, you know, about 10% so far. And I guess I could say the numbers instead of percentages because it's been a super small sample, but to me, I don't know if these things are a sample size thing as much as they are an approach thing. And that's that's my concern with the offense is that okay, I know I know what Francisco Lindor is capable of. I know what Fran Mil Reyes is capable of. I know what Jose Ramirez and and Carl Santana can do because they've done it over a number of years. You trust them to 
you know, I know Frank Terry Francon always says guys get to their levels and there's less time to get to those levels this year. At some point they are going to perform like they normally do because that's who they are. My only concern is how much time is that going to take? And is this less of a small sample size thing than it is an approach thing? Because like we talked about there, they're just, there's a lot of chasing going around. There's a lot of swing and missing going on. And may, well, maybe it's, maybe it's, they haven't had enough at bats. I know in the past, uh, John and I talked about this in the post game on Periscope last night that Jason Kipnis as an example said that when you miss spring training as a hitter, you miss those reps to get yourself ready and feel comfortable at the plate. And you're trying to make up for it the rest of the year. You're always playing catch up. And I wonder if that's happening to the hitters around the league and especially on the Indians. Obviously, you know, we're, we're seeing it with the tribe. Um, the one observation I'll make is almost every single is not a rotational guy. These are guys who are staples of the lineup that the tribe depends upon to produce. They really need them to kick in in the next five, ten games and get comfortable, get to those walk rate numbers. I, I do think it's somewhat being off and missing the time and the at-bats that they've had. But I also think it, some of it is an aggressive approach and, you know, trying to put a little bit of pressure on themselves to produce and to get that hit because, you know, we're playing the Twins early in the season. We need to, to put two runs on the board, and they're up by two right now, um, whatever the case may be. But I, I think that they've added a little bit of pressure on themselves, trying to do too much instead of just putting the ball. Um, you know, you don't have to swing for the fences. Try to get on base and let the guy behind you take care of it. Uh, expand. Um, don't expand the zone. Take the pitches and, and let's see what I has. Make them um, bring in the bullpen early in the game sooner than they want to. Things like that I think still matter, and I think they matter more in a short season like this. Yeah, because other teams aren't really equipped with the pitching the Indians have and starters to go deep and, and be effective. Um, they just haven't they haven't scored. I mean, they've not – in the Chicago series and the, and the Kansas City series – you know, they knocked out the starting pitchers fairly early. They did a pretty good job against the Twins, I would say, knocking or getting uh, Jose Barrios' pitch count up. They started to with Sonny Gray on Monday, and then that, that kind of went by the wayside. All right, he, he must have made an adjustment, which, you know, not a surprise. He's a great pitcher. Um, you know, we just – we talked about how – everyone's talked about how good the top four in the order should be between Hernandez, who – he hasn't hit for much power, but you didn't really expect him, for him to hit for much power, but he's getting on base at a 38% clip, which is pretty awesome. Um, but he's only scored five runs, which really stinks. But the top four in the order, you know, all switch hitters, all guys very capable of doing their job. And then Fran Mill Reyes being fifth, supplying the power, you know, Terry Francona's called him the connector of the lineup. And like you said, those guys do need to get going the next couple games because the biggest issue to me is the six through nine spots in the lineup have been so undecided and they haven't done much production wise and nobody's playing, you know, multiple days in a row. They've been juggling the outfield so much. And that tells you where the outfield is, is that I don't think anybody in the outfield has hit higher than fifth, which when that's when Reyes is playing the outfield. So anybody in the outfield, not named Fran Mill Reyes hasn't hit higher than sixth yet. Um, that's a problem, not necessarily because of 
where they hit in the order, but because you expect more production from your outfield, but they just haven't settled on one yet. And I kind of wonder, you know, is, is the front five putting more pressure on themselves because they know the bottom of the order is kind of unsettled. Like Domingo Santana, as we're talking on, on Wednesday, the fifth is sitting for the third night in a row. When you have the DH, it's not like he's sitting because he has to, he has to play the field. Um, he's got a, you know, four or seven on base. He's not hitting, but he's walking. That's valuable. Bradley Zimmer's walking. He's doing okay. I, I like to see more of him. Jordan Luplo, I don't think has a hit yet this year and he's playing for the second straight night and they have to get him going. And Oscar Mercado, I don't think has had a hit, had a hit in this series. He had a hit in this red series, but that was like his, his first hit since opening weekend. I wonder how much of it is the fact they haven't settled on a bottom third of the order and the top five is putting more pressure on themselves. And how, how much longer can they go with this, you know, shift change hockey line of outfielders where you can essentially put out a new outfield combination every night. You know, I, I looked at the lineup for the game against the Reds tonight and it occurred to me, there's five hitters hitting sub 200 in the, in the lineup tonight. One hitter, Jordan Luplo, who has yet to record a hit. Um, but the continual rotation in the outfield, I, I think has been detrimental for the players, for the team. Um, you know, I believe it was Sandy Alomar that said that the team has too many outfielders. Well, what are they going to do when Tyler Naquin returns from injury? And we have Delano DeShields Jr., who is set to make a return as soon as tomorrow with uh, also two roster moves going to happen at some point tomorrow. You know, it, it occurred to me, as you said, that Domingo Santana is sitting for the third night. What if there's a trade in the works for an outfielder? You know, what if they're exploring um, shipping one of these guys off for, um, say, a bullpen arm or a player to be named later or cash or something like that. And, you know, I, I don't want to chase that rabbit down the trail, but it just kind of occurred to me when you said that, that Domingo Santana's sitting tonight and, and they're already overloaded at the position. I, I tend to think when you have a guy like that who can change the game with one at bat and he's sitting for multiple days, you know, you need to find a way to get him in the lineup unless you're not thinking he's part of the future. But the curious thing there is that, you know, he is locked up for next season as well. So, you know, maybe it's just uh, they're trying to get loop low going and they think he needs the at-bats right now. It's early in the season. Um, there are some defensive concerns with Domingo Santana out in the outfield. I am I'm not suggesting that they are trying to trade him in particular, but I am saying that there could be some moves in the in the making um, where the Indians are, are kind of uh, – trying to see what they have before they make some hard decisions um, tomorrow with a couple of roster cuts coming. Oh, and by the way, we didn't even mention Greg Allen, who I'm pulling, I was pulling up the stats to talk about this. Doesn't even have an at-bats to qualify on their own homepage on fan graphs. Um, I put a minimum plate appearance of 10. So Greg Allen through 12 games is sitting on the roster and doesn't even have 10 plate appearances through 12 games. I mean, I, I know they need an extra roster spots, but I'm like, what? How many of them can be outfielders? And and if you have a guy like, okay, that Greg Allen's role was obviously pinch run, late inning defense. He's gotten a couple starts. I don't think he should be starting over anybody who's been playing so far because 
I think we know, unfortunately, where Greg Allen's ceiling, as much as I like him as a player and a person, he's not a starting outfielder at this point. But, like, Daniel Johnson's still on the roster, and he's played infrequently. That's tough for a rookie. Um, you know, like I just said, Jordan Luplo for the second straight night is playing against the right-handed pitcher. I know they have to get him going, but man, it's, it's, you're not putting these guys in position to succeed. And it just seems like things compound themselves so fast, whether it's, you know, we can't, you know, he's already struggling as it is. We can't sit him for five days until we face the lefty. That's not going to be good for him. And I get that. Um, you know, he also missed time in summer camp too, with a back injury. So you know, he's probably trying to play catch up himself. So the whole thing is just being compounded by a lot of issues. But I think one of it is you just have too many outfielders. Like, if you want Mercado to be your everyday center fielder, okay, he pretty much has been. He started 10 of the 12, and tonight will be 11 of 13. Um, Zimmer has played well enough, I think, to earn consistent at-bats until he doesn't. And then you've got to figure out what's going to happen with the other outfield spot. And eventually – I'm sure they want it to be the platoon of Naquid and Luplo because that's what worked a year ago. But then you still have Domingo Santana, who who knows if he's going to be on the roster or not. We'll see. And then, like you said, you're going to have Delano to Shields. Well, he's going to be swapped out for Greg Allen, but you're going to want to get him playing time. He's probably playing catch-up, too. It's like, I don't think it, the rosters are going to stay at 28. And, you know, the infielders, you, you have Yu Chang, who I think has played two games or three games, and Christian Arroyo, who has played one game and hasn't even batted. So I think he's an obvious cut tomorrow when the rosters go down to 28. But I just don't think it makes sense to be carrying all these outfielders. Like, if the roster's going to stay at 28, carry a third catcher and then maybe carry DeShields as a pinch runner. You know, don't – I don't know. It just – you're not going to – you're not going to help yourself by keeping those guys around and, and keep – pushing him in and out of the lineup. I think Alomar's right. They need to find a consistent outfield, and you can't do that when you're carrying that many guys because you can't, you know, the Indians won't let them sit forever. That's not good. And, you know, there's there's other factors in there, which is quite obvious. There's no minor leagues. There's no nowhere to send the guy down to to get at bats to kind of warm him up. So now you're sitting with Luplo in the lineup who's yet to get a hit, but he also missed – much of um, well summer camp because of a back injury, you know? So this is essentially his spring training, his summer camp right now. And I think that's part of the reason that they have him in the lineup. And, and maybe it's to say, Hey, if he doesn't get a hit tonight, maybe we do need to send him to Lake County to, to get some more hacks there. Um, see Daniel Johnson sit in the bench. He needs to be getting bats every day to Columbus this year because there's no minor league system. Do you waste his service time or, or do you let him accumulate service time? while he's just sitting on the bench. I, a, a young player like that who has a lot of tools and a lot of potential, you know, I, I could see the Indians sending back down and, and calling up a Delano de Shields to replace him. You know, I, I do think there's going to be a couple of painful cuts tomorrow. Um, I like a lot of these players for various reasons, but there's just not space for everyone on the team. It, it's just a matter of fact, and there's not enough at-bats for 26 outfielders. <laughs> or that's yeah. what it feels like, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think you, you can make it work with five outfielders. You can find, you know, playing time. Like Greg Allen, obviously, his, like we talked about, his role is pinch run leading defense. That's fine if you're getting him a start every few games, you know, or he's getting a late inning at bat or something. Um, 
I just don't think you can live with, with six outfielders. I mean, if you platoon one spot with a lefty and Luplo, assuming Luplo gets it going, that's fine. Whether that's Zimmer or whether that's Naquin, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think you've at least got to have two guys that are playing, you know, five out of seven days. I think nobody knows the role. I think that's another issue for these guys too, is they don't know their role. Like they're coming to the park and they know they're playing, but you know, they may, they don't know if they're going to be playing two days from now or three days from now, like Domingo Santana, unless something is going on with this, you know, a trade or maybe he has a, an injury he's nursing that we don't know about. Sure. Does he go, you know, I know the Indians are good about telling guys the day before if they're playing or not, but you know, when he's playing, does he know in two days and you know, from now, is he going to play? Does that get into his head? You know, maybe you don't have to worry about that with the Lindors and the the Reyes and the Santanas because they know if they go for four that they're playing two days from now. But when you have the outfielders combination they have so far, maybe these guys don't know if the four bats they're getting today are going to be over the next week or they're going to be over the next two days. That's probably part of the problem too, I would think. Absolutely. Um, I think trying to come to the game and – perform while you're out there. So I can see a lot of these guys putting pressures, pressure on themselves to perform that night, you know, that they really don't need to. They need to go up there and relax and, and do their part, you know, realizing that they are just part of the, the chain, if you will, and, um, you know, not try to be the hero in the moment. But I can see guys adding pressure to themselves because they don't know their role the next day. I, I will say this. I'm very impressed with the changes that Bradley Zimmer has made. And his ability, he's played right field five times, center field three times, and left field four times. thats I know he's a natural athlete. He hasn't really veered out of center field until this year, though. Um, not quite like that anyways. So to see him be able to handle the bat and make the adjustments that he has, come back from injury, and be able to play in a variety of positions each night, is encouraging. I hope that he continues to improve with the bat and shows more power and his speed. Um, definitely impressed with him, and hopefully he can continue to show that. But how does he? How does he? And how does fit in the lineup from day to day? I don't know. You know, especially as Tyler Naquin nears a return. Um, you know, and I didn't mean to throw Domingo out there and and start rumors saying he's going to be traded. I. In fact, I've heard nothing along those lines at all, so I'm not suggesting that he is, but it, it, it occurred to me that they do have too many outfielders and that there's going to be some changes coming, you know, um, with Delano DeShields getting healthy, with Daniel Johnson sitting on the bench. You can only play so many guys, and I think that's part of the, the burden, so to speak, with having all of these bats and all of these outfielders on the bench is, you know, they want to see who's going to play and who's going to perform. And frankly, none of them have performed greatly or none of them have performed where they look like they should be an every single day player. Yeah. Let's, let's see what they do for a week. Let's see if Mercado and Zimmer play a week in a row. Let's see what they do at the other outfield spot. But I think it's clear that two outfield spots need to be occupied by the same guys every day. I mean, if one Zimmer and, and you're facing a tough lefty, okay. You can sit Zimmer against a tough lefty. I think he should face some just to see how he does. Um, I think so far he's the most deserving. He's played better than Mercado even. I wouldn't sit Zimmer until um, 
he struggles. I mean, he's not hitting great, but he's walking and he's looked competitive. So let's let's see let's see him and Mercado play pretty much every day, and then let's see what happens in their spot. You know, whether it's Luplo against the lefty or or Santana, whenever. But then he's pretty much platoon neutral. They'll sell it here eventually. Um, when most people are listening to this, it'll be Thursday, and it'll be roster cut day to twenty eight. The roster was supposed to go down to 26 two more weeks from now, but now it's going to be 28 the rest of the year. Um, like I said, Christian Arroyo does not have an at-bat this year, which is kind of astounding to me. I thought they really liked him, and um, you know they, they talked about wanting to get every guy into a game early to get them on the field, and he's only played defense once. Yu Chang had gotten two starts, or two games, I should say. Mike Freeman's gotten three. Mike Freeman's job is safe. Um the thing is Arroyo's out of options. So part of me says, okay, Arroyo hasn't played, so he's going to be cut tomorrow. But the other part of me says needing depth for the year. I think they're willing to let Arroyo sit on the bench for now and send Chang back to the alternate camp because he has an option and you, you save your depth there because I'm sure someone's going to claim Arroyo, whether that's the Cardinals or the Marlins or the next team who gets a coronavirus outbreak or something or uh, the White Sox who just lost Nick Madrigal for maybe the season. We don't know yet. Um, I think Greg out. Al- well, I think Greg Allen's obvious, but they're just going to add another outfielder when they cut him anyway. Like they're going to add Dino to shield. So maybe, Oh, I'm sorry. Daniel Johnson, Daniel Johnson. I think is the next obvious one. Greg Allen will probably go out for the liner to shields. I don't know what they're going to do for Tyler Naquin. Maybe it's a choice between Zimmer Mercado or, uh, Domingo Santana when Naquin comes back. But tomorrow, my guess, or tomorrow or today, and everyone, everyone's listening to this, my guesses are Chang and, and Johnson to be sent down. Who are your guesses? I think Chang and Johnson. I, I do think we will see Allen at some point. Um, I think we see Chang and Johnson tomorrow. Those are the two obvious ones. Uh, the Shields will be coming back. So whenever the Shields come back, I think we lose Allen as well, potentially. Um, you know, as you were talking and you said, if Arroyo was um, designated for assignment, you know, my, my first thought was, I hear the Marlins are looking for live bodies with the pulse at this point. Um, I think he qualifies and, you know, he was once a top 100 prospect, so we shall see where his career goes. Um, not getting any at-bats is, has not been beneficial to his career at all, though, you know. So I, I do think, though, with Cheng having an option and them wanting to keep infield depth and, and with the roster restrictions that are currently in place, I think the wise move is to just go ahead and send Cheng to, uh, to like, County for the alternate site and let him get at-bats there. And, you know, you keep him in the system, you keep him for another year, and then um, let's see how the year plays out. Yeah, I, I definitely would do that as well, even though it's strange to me you're going to have Arroyo and Freeman sitting on the bench, and the only one who's played is Freeman. Um, I don't know when you're going to get Arroyo in if you keep him anyway, but this is this is obviously an issue we talked about early on was, okay, you need Ramirez and Lindor to play every day because they're the keys to your offense. Santana always plays every day, and nobody else really plays first base except for Jake Bowers, and uh, he's probably not not going to be a factor this year. And Cesar Hernandez has pretty much played every day throughout his career. So there was never really a chance to get these guys in the game because that your, your infield was pretty much set every day and you need 
uh, three out of four of those guys to play every day for your offense's sake. And, and like I said, Cesar has played every day in his career when he's been healthy and, you know, he's been mostly healthy. So there was never really a, an opening for these guys unless there's double headers um, or you DH one of them, which has happened a couple times, but I, I just don't know what they're going to do with the two extra infielders. I mean, I guess maybe Chang goes on the, the taxi squad, you know, the, the, the taxi squad will be up to five guys instead of three, but I know, I know the extra roster positions were put in place to safeguard guys testing positive for the virus or, or injuries because of the weird schedule, but you know, knock on wood, the Indians have been technically healthy other than Perez and Naquin and unfortunately for the shields, but even then they, they, the depth has not come into play for them yet. And ironically it's created a issue anyway. <laughs> I don't want to say it's an issue because it's good to have healthy guys and it's good that the virus hasn't, you know, knock on wood, hasn't been an issue for the Indians, but I don't know. It's just weird that the depth has almost been a confounding issue more than it has been good for them. Absolutely. And I think Tito wants to get these young guys at bats and, and see what he has for them. Um, you know, it, it's putting putting pressure on there on them to perform. I think that doesn't need to be. Um, well, I'm assuming that they are feeling pressure to perform. You know, I, they haven't said that they're not going to say that, but you know, as a, uh, somebody who's played high school sports and, you know, I, I think when you have the opportunity, you realize, Hey, I want to do, um, I want to go out there and perform when I have the opportunity. So I, I can see these guys doing the same thing and thinking, you know, I, I have to perform while I'm up here right? or I have to do something. And, and I think with the lack of at bats, we're seeing the combination of no spring training or lack of spring training at bats um, late late summer camp, whatever you want to call it. And then the detriment of not having, you know, Columbus and, and Akron to send guys to four at bats. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a interesting dynamic as the year unfolds because guys who go on the DL and return are not really going to have that time to catch up to speed or, or be who they were before that injury. It's going to take them a few games to get back, you know, so um, hopefully – they are able to get their legs up under them quickly, but the Indians are expecting a few guys back from the DL that should be beneficial for this lineup at some point. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think pitching and ca- or, or pitching and hitting will eventually start to catch up to one another or the hitting will start to catch up to the pitching. Um, it, I think it's bound to happen at some point uh, around the league. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I know there's extra playoff spots and, Coming in second place guarantees you a three-game playoff series, but I don't know if 2.6 runs a game is going to land you in second place, no matter how bad the White Sox pitching is. And as we're finishing up here, Mike Clevenger is starting, and he might be making us uh, look bad in our previous discussion because he just hit 96 with a fastball. And um, <laughs> someone someone did ambush a first-pitch fastball, so maybe we'll be right there. But the velocity is up so far tonight, and – the breaking ball looks much better. So um, we might be proven right on some things, but some things he might make us eat our words. And that's fine. Cause you know what? Uh, the first thing can be true. But probably will be true. The second thing will um, hopefully, you know, we're, we're wrong about. I wanted to finish up with the bullpen. And, and to me, this has been the most surprising part of the team. You know, this, I, I feel like this bullpen was going to be hit or miss. And so far it's been mostly hit, you know, Brad hand did have, 
a bad outing. Um, and I, it's weird. Everyone's kind of jumped down his throat. I am too, because I'm concerned. And I think there's a lot of concern from a year ago, but he hasn't been terrible. He just hasn't been great. I know he has a 1080 ERA, but it's been three innings and he's a reliever. And he hasn't walked that many guys. Uh, I know he had a catcher's interference and he's been hit a little bit, but he did pitch on Tuesday night and he was 92, 93. Some people said he was getting 94. I didn't see that on baseball savant. So I'm not sure where he was sitting 94, but 92, 93 is, is okay. I guess, because he was kind of 90, 92 before and he was better with his command. So that's an improvement. Um, I'm not really sure how I feel about him going forward. I'm going to need to see him throw more strikes. I don't think you're going to ever see him throw 94, 95 again, like he did when he first got traded here. But as we've seen with the starters, you can be effective in 92, 93. If you command the fastball and you, he has a great slider. still. he just needs the command the arm slot is still down from where it used to be. And I don't know if that's just a tired arm or whatever mechanical issues he might be having, but I still think he can be a, a, a effective reliever. I don't know if he's a high leverage reliever. They might need him to be, but as long as he has command of the fastball and the command of the slider, he'll be fine as a reliever. But I think that still remains to be seen. But Tuesday night was a step in the right direction. But to me, <clears throat> I'm I'm super impressed. I, I'm not not that I wasn't expecting it to be good, but you know, uh, Nick Whitgren has followed up on his year ago. He's pretty good so far. Um, Phil Maton in one outing looked pretty impressive to me. Adam Simber overall has been pretty solid. Dominic Leone's been okay. And then obviously uh, James Karinczak has been fantastic. I mean, he's been as good as you could ask. I know he gave up that one run in the extra inning game against the Royals. It wasn't his fault, but his command has been way better than I thought it was going to be early on. I thought he'd already experienced some hiccups, but what is your read on Karen Shack and what is your read on the bullpen overall so far? You know, I think they've done admirably well, all considered. Um, I thought the pen would struggle a little bit more than they have. Obviously some concern with hand. He's, he's the player that I was really concerned with, with the, with the bullpen and beyond him, Adam Simber and guys like Leon getting opportunities or too many opportunities is concerning for me. Um, Krinchak, his, his control has been surprising to me. I, I have noticed that he hasn't been hitting up to 98 and I'm, I'm curious if he's just kind of laid off a little bit um, to kind of give up a little bit of velocity for a little bit more control, you know, either way he is working. He looked very impressive against the Reds last night with that curveball and throwing the pitch for strikes. And, um, you know, I definitely see a bright future for him in the Indians pen. Um, Brad hand has interestingly brought out his curveball again. So, you know, I, uh, I thought that that was a notable um, change for him and he noticed he noted that he had not pitched in five days, which I find curious. Um, but overall, I'm impressed with the with the way that the uh, bullpen has responded. Hopefully, they continue to do so. Glad you mentioned Phil uh, Maton. I was impressed in that one outing. He looked really good. Um, I would suspect either he or Leon are potential cuts if the Indians went that way and decided to get rid of an arm. Um, instead of bats, but I, I tend to think that they will probably move the guys that we talked about earlier. 
Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it's been tough to get all the pitchers in. They haven't needed to, thankfully, because the starting has been so good. Um, we haven't even talked about Adam Plutko, who hasn't pitched since his one start, and who knows what they have planned for him. Maybe he'll pitch tonight at some point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just can't believe how good the bullpen's been. I mean, <clears throat> James Karinchak has already gotten some <clears throat> opportunities to earn trust from the from Francona and the rest of the Indians. I thought it would take a little bit longer to throw him in some leverage games, but he's been in there and he's proved that he's earned it. And that's a good thing for the Indians. Same with Cam Hill. I mean, none of these guys have done anything to um, not be trusted. Everyone's pitched, I think, as well as, as what you can expect from them. I mean, Adam Simber's not striking anybody out, but that's not what he's been doing. And um, for the most part, he's done what you expect. He hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been great. And, um, Nick Whitgren, kind of the same thing. I and mean, he hasn't struck as many guys out either, but the bullpen seems to be settling into consistency and roles better than the offense. Like we talked about the guys in the outfield needing to know their roles and their playing time. And I don't know if the bullpen really necessarily knows their roles and their, and their situations yet, because everything's new and, um, Cam Hill's new and Phil Maton's new and Dominic Leone is new and, James Karinchak is new, but I think he's a different situation. But these guys all seem to be settling in a little bit better in the offense, and that's good for the Indians because if the offense continues to struggle, if the starting pitching and the bullpen are both as good as they have been so far, then they'll find their way out of this. I was really concerned. I was more concerned with the bullpen than the offense coming into the year. Um, but if the bullpen keeps this up, they're I mean, they're going to win some 3-2 games. And they need, I think they need to, you know, still need to score four runs to win most nights. But um, as long as the bullpen holds tight, they're going to be just fine. I think the offense will come around enough. But the bullpen, to me, from the beginning, has been the glue to the season. I didn't, I didn't expect the offense to struggle the way they have. But if the bullpen keeps up like this, I think there's no doubt they'll be playing in some sort of playoff series, whatever version take it into. And if that actually happens, I should say, but um, yeah, I've, I've just been impressed with the bullpen overall. Yeah. I think it would take a, a flurry of injuries and maybe a massive outbreak of the coronavirus for the tribe to not make the playoffs. Um, I will say that I feel like uh, James Krinchak is the difference maker in the pen for this year. He seems to help other guys settle in roles because he takes some pressure off of hand. And you can put him in that in the game like they have, and he's responded very well. His his control has looked excellent at this point for for what he is and what he does. You know, I, I think we're looking at our potential future closer for the tribe there, and letting him get some high leverage um, experience this early is encouraging for the confidence that they have in him, and it also allows him to flash that ability that we knew that he already had. You know. Um, glad to see him getting these opportunities and hopefully he just continues to thrive and take off with it. Yeah. I want to see, I want to see more of Cam Hill, but I'm definitely impressed with the improvement in command. And I think we'll see what happens with Karen check when the league, I mean, there's not much of a scouting report on him, to be honest, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what he does. He tunnels the fastball and the curveball very well. And um, the curveball is pretty much unhittable unless he hangs it and the fastball, if he commands it, you know, it's tough to pick up. So the scouting report is probably pretty simple, but the fact is he, when he, when he's throwing strikes, he's almost unhittable and he might be as good as 
Allen or Miller in their heyday as long as he throws strikes. And so far he's done that, and that's been impressive. Um, that's kind of all I think we've got. We've, you know, we touched on the starting rotation. We've touched on the offense. We've touched on the bullpen. I think we've covered all of our bases through 12 games. It's It's been good to actually talk about strategy and performance versus are they going to play or how are they going to make this work? And, you know, this is, like I said, this is our first podcast since the season started and it, it does feel really good to actually talk about the, uh, the nuances of playing rather than will they play and how will it work? Absolutely. Anything else you want to add or do you just want to quickly let our listeners know what's coming up? Um, as as you are well aware, we have a top 50 prospect rankings. These are going to be kind of um, condensed version. It's going to be not the expanded version that you would see at the beginning of the season, but we are going to go back to that format um, in the springtime. Right now with no minor league system, we do want to touch on the new rankings. We have some new guys in the system. We've had more time to sit and conversate um, and, and kind of, Myself, you, and Joe um, have all kind of corresponded with each other as far as uh, with our rankings go and, and kind of collaborated. And we pieced together a top 50, and, you know, you'll see 50 guys um, ranked a little bit differently. These write-ups will be a little bit more, well, a lot more abbreviated. We just want to quickly hit on the guys and highlight some of the guys, also highlight some of the changes that are in there. And incorporate some of the new um, draft picks. I will say this, MLB.com came out with their top 30 prospects and five of the Indians' six draft picks were ranked in the top 30. So very encouraging on their end. Um, for us, you'll see all six guys in the top 50, um, but not so uh, aggressive as MLB.com. They like to push the new guys, I will say that. But be on the lookout for that top 50 coming out. I believe that will start rolling out as soon as next week. Yeah, Monday is the plan to start getting it rolling. Everybody will have different guys we highlighted, and it'll be, like you said, two or three sentences. And once we get in the top ten, it'll go a little bit deeper. I do agree with you. The uh, the MLB pipeline is always draft heavy every year. It's not just the Indians. It's their top 100 and their top 30 for every team. They always somehow yeah. manage to get, like, anywhere between five or 10 prospects that were drafted in this year into their re-ranks. And um, that, that just kind of blows my mind sometimes. Not that they're not good at what they do, but um, they kind of, I feel like they kind of look at the draft picks as guys who haven't done anything to deserve to be downgraded. And they, they are projecting their, their future without anything going wrong so far versus the guys that have climbed the ranks a little bit and, and had some experience. And Absolutely. I think you, I think you can balance the two a little bit better, especially when you have a top 30 where the Indians are starting to creep into the upper half of baseball in terms of farm systems. But yeah, we'll, we'll start rolling those out about five at a time. And um, actually it's going to be a top 51. We added one player at the last minute just because um, we didn't, you know, we, we, you, you mentioned this specifically, but we didn't want to drop anybody too far because it's a weird season. You know, nobody's played. Like if there was a half season of minor league baseball and, and, you know, somebody was struggling or was, was hurt. Um, it, it, you can make the case to drop them, you know, 10, 12 spots if, if things are going really bad and you're seeing something, but 
it's kind of tough to drop guys more than a couple spots when they're not playing. And, and you can't, I mean, I think we've all looked at prospects and, and adding Joe to the mix too has changed things too. But um, I think you can safely re-rank some of these guys and it's just tough because you're trying to work in the new crop of draft picks, but none of these guys, you know, we tried not to drop them too far. We just tried to shuffle with, you know, a new thought process and, and adding the new guys, but um, it is tough and you really want to be fair. Not to, not that it matters, but you know, to the players or the organization where we're ranking these guys, but um, you know, we are trying to give our readers as, as, as good information as we can give them. Um, and I, I don't I think, think it's fair to drop guys too far. I think it lends credence to um, integrity, integrity of the game and the integrity of the process that we consider um, when we sit and we talk about these guys and their projecting projections for the future. Um, with it being an awkward season, to say the very least, uh, I didn't think it was right for us to be too aggressive or, you know, one way or the other on any of the guys. I think the biggest factor was having the third set of eyes on it and having three of us uh, collaborate on the project. That's where there's going to be some change. Of course, introducing six new guys to the system and not feeling like anyone should drop too aggressively outside of a manual class A uh, because of the suspension and the lost season for him. Uh, it does drop his essential value for the tribe. And we reflected that, I believe, by dropping him by about 10 spots. And, and Coincidentally, you and I, we, we both ranked him. And when we both ranked him, we both dropped him uh, 10 spots. I'm not quite sure what Joe did with that, but I know you and I both dropped him 10 spots, which we didn't even collaborate on that part. And then when we compared lists, we both came back with a very similar look uh, as far as how we both perceived the loss of value with him. But, you know, I think sticking with the integrity of what we do as writers and um projecting these guys in the future you know we don't want to be too aggressive there are some guys who did change a little bit you'll see uh, oscar gonzalez he does drop in our rankings and a lot of that is by having opportunity to to view more footage but also you know he's a guy that really needed this season it was vital for him and it, it really hurts him not being able to perform it yes it hurts everyone but it's a guy like him who really needed to perform this season so we could really get an indication of who and what he is. He also ties into that large group of players that have the same type of ranking. And, you know, and if I'm putting, you know, uh, um, future value on them, there's probably 20 guys on the back end of this that all of those guys probably grade the same grade. And that says to the, says a lot about the Indians depth is what it really says is that they have that much depth that fan graphs went 46 players deep that tells you that the Indians prospects and that their whole farm system is on the rise. Um, a lot of people are saying it could be a top 10, a top five organization in the years to come completely agree. Yeah. I mean, it's a bummer. We haven't had a chance to see some of these guys. I mean, we didn't get to see Brian Rocchio or, uh, you know, Bo Naylor advance a level or more of Daniel Espino or, um, trying to think of other guys that just haven't been out of Arizona yet. Junior San Quentin, Alexi Planez, Jose Tina, you know, it's a, there's a strong group of, of middle infielders and other players who just haven't been outside of rookie leagues that no one's gotten to look at, and especially us. So yeah, like you said, we're doing our due diligence as much as we can and trying to give the most 
accurate information and trying to give, you know, a strong thought process to all this. So um, definitely going to want to check it out. You know, if you enjoyed the, the preseason top 50, I think this will be just as enjoyable and, um, you know, it's always good to factor in the new draft picks and kind of, shuffle things if you're seeing new things even though there's not there's no games to play but um always good i mean i think uh you know someone like eric long and hanging to fan graphs and other guys have been doing this for a long time have a good process but i think their process is always changing too and i think when you introduce new thoughts it's always a good thing and um you always want to keep thinking about it and try to improve and i think that's what we're trying to do with this list you know, in addition to giving our readers something unique that nobody else is doing, especially when we don't have games to cover. So um, if you're not a subscriber, you definitely want to check that out. Uh, only $4.99. You can go in and check out all of our insider content, and you can go back and look at the the original top 50, um, as well as the, you know, the new 51. And you'll also be able to go back and check the diamonds in the rough from this year, as well as the cutting room floor. Those are all up there. I know we just finished off we're finishing off the cutting room floor, the uh, the diamonds in the rough series from the preseason top 50. I don't know if we'll do another diamonds in the rough off this 51, but um, if there is anybody we haven't wrote, written about this year, we will definitely write about them. Our goal is to, you know, write about as many of the prospects in the system as we can and um, let, you know, Indians fans and readers know about these guys. So whenever they go to a minor league game next year, wherever that may be, uh, we could talk about that another time, but that's our goal. And, uh, you know, we hope you'll read along and, and join in with us. And we appreciate all the readers that have um, enjoyed things so far.